Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Good morning, everyone. Praise God on this cold morning. Uh, as Michael uh, said that uh, my wife and I have been in Cyprus for the last uh, six weeks, we got back two weeks ago. Apart from the weather that was very unstable from, for the month of May, usually it's springtime in Europe, but um, we've had a very unstable, rainy, windy, dusty uh, month of May. But apart from that, the Lord met with us. We met with the people that we usually do. We, we renewed our acquaintance and we um, spent some time in fellowship with the pastors and the leaders and the churches that we usually minister to when we go to Cyprus. Uh, as I waited on the Lord for the word that he would give me for the church in Cyprus... He instructed me specifically to preach one message to every church that we went to. And um, it wasn't a pleasant message to preach. It was, if I could label it, it was a prophetic call to the church in Cyprus uh, to recognize uh, where we are as a people, as a church, and what to do about it. And I don't think I have preached this message here in our local church. And as I waited on the Lord this morning, I felt impressed that I should share the same message that I preached to the church in Cyprus. Because I believe that this word that the Lord has given me by His Spirit is for the entire church, particularly in the West. I'm talking about the church in South Africa, in the church in Zimbabwe, the church in the United States, and in Europe, particularly. And so, this is what I'm going to be sharing with you today, and I trust that the Spirit would give us an unction from above that will enable us to hear the cry of the heart of God that will soften our hearts and make us sensitive to what He desires to say and to do within His house in our present day. This is very important for us to receive the heart of God as he communicates the message to the church in our present day. And I like to title this message as the greatest challenge that confronts the present day church. And that includes you and includes me. The greatest challenge that confronts the present day church. 
And I'm going to be reading two passages of Scripture. One is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. And the other is taken from Hebrews, the book of Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through to 14. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. In the first portion of Scripture, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and he speaks to them in a way where, well, let me read his words. Let his words minister to us. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. He doesn't hold back, if you notice. He tells them the truth in love, where they are, and he diagnoses their spiritual condition. You know, I've realized this, that if we are not well in our bodies and we visit our GP or our doctor, the first thing that he does, he makes, hopefully, a correct and an accurate diagnosis. If the diagnosis is not accurate, he cannot give us the right medication. Are you with me? So it's vitally important that we recognize the cause of some of the things that we are facing in the church. We need to get to the root of the problem and not just deal with the symptoms or the branches of the tree, but we need to go to the root of it and address what it is that is causing so much conflict, division, strife, lukewarmness, compromise, and worldliness within the house of God. And he says to them, you are still not able to receive the meat of the word. And the reason being is that you are carnal or fleshly. For where there are envy and strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? And then Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through to 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. You see, the same symptoms, the same problem that the church in Corinth were facing, it was the same situation to the Hebrew believers. We don't know who wrote the letter to the Hebrew uh, believers. Some of them say it's Paul. It doesn't really matter who wrote it because it is the Spirit that inspired these men to write and to address uh, the church. 
And he says to them, solid food belongs for everyone, he says, who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Well, what is the challenge that we are facing today in the church? And I believe it's the absence of spiritual maturity, the absence of a lack of spiritual growth and spiritual development. This is the greatest challenge that is facing the present-day church. Paul calls this, or rather the Hebrew writer says, you are unskilled in the word of righteousness. In other words, you have not been trained and equipped adequately in the word of God. And therefore you are unable to receive the solid food or the solid meat of the Word. You can only receive milk. Now, the solid meat that he's speaking about is the deeper truths or the mysteries of the kingdom of God. You are unable to receive those deeper uh, mysteries or rather the wisdom of God and the way the kingdom of God functions and works in our lives and through us. I can only feed you with milk. And that is the major challenge that we are facing. Unwillingness to grow and to develop in the things of the Spirit. You see, natural growth comes naturally. All you have to do is eat and sleep and um, go to work or exercise, and you grow. I mean, you take a little infant, you feed him with milk, they grow. There's no effort in that. But spiritual growth requires effort, requires commitment, requires devotion, requires obedience and prayer and discipleship. It doesn't come naturally. Are you listening to me? In other words, you're going to have to exert effort in the things that God has ordained or in the means that God has given us in order to grow and to develop spiritually. Well, what are the results of this spiritual immaturity? The result is that we have knowledge of God, but shallow. It's not that we do not know God. It's not that we do not love God. We love God. We know Him. We've experienced His goodness. We have tasted His mercy and His grace. But that knowledge remains shallow. And shallow knowledge produces shallow faith. Are you with me? Shallow faith is unable to embrace the meat of the Word, and to become skillful in the Word of righteousness. And so shallow faith produces shallow understanding 
of how the kingdom of God works. The ways of the kingdom, the ways of God. We may have experienced the acts of God, but we must also experience or learn the ways of God. Not just what God does, but why does He do what He does? Are you with me? And so these are the results. And the evidence of that shallow knowledge and shallow faith and shallow understanding of God's ways are, these are some of the evidence. Self-centeredness. Self-centeredness. Seeking our own way rather than the way of God or the kingdom of God. Seeking our own will rather than the will of God. Building our own dreams rather than the dreams of the kingdom of God. Following and pursuing our own desires rather than the desires of the Spirit of God. Other things seem to take priority rather than the kingdom of God and the will of God in our lives. We make decisions based on what's good for me rather than what's good for the kingdom of God. These are some of the evidence of spiritual immaturity. Another carnality. Paul said to the Corinthians, you are yet still carnal. What is a carnal believer? A carnal believer is one who is governed by his five physical senses rather than being led and governed by the Spirit of God. Are you listening to me? The flesh is very strong. It is the flesh that dictates that carnal believer, not the Spirit of God. He says, another translation says, you are body ruled. Amen? Governed by emotions and feelings and what you see, what you feel, what you touch. That is a carnal believer. That's another evidence. Believers, in other words, who are being, as Ephesians chapter 4 says, because they are children, they are being tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine that brings instability. You are all over the place. One day you're up, the next day you're down. Amen? Today you're cold, tomorrow you're hot. You're not stable. You haven't thrown roots. You haven't grown. That's why Ephesians says, chapter 4, that the fivefold ministry was given to the body of Christ in order to equip believers, in order to bring them to maturity so that they are no longer children being tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Children are easily deceived. And there's a lot of deception going on in the body of Christ today because of spiritual immaturity and lack of spiritual discernment. That's another evidence. Here's another one, divisions. The Bible says jealousy, envy, and all of these things have placed us 
in a very vulnerable and weak position against our adversaries. You see, the Lord cannot commission children into the battlefield, just like you do not release or commission soldiers on the front lines that have not been trained in warfare, don't know how to use the weapons. So this is what we are having in the church. God cannot commit ministry, responsibility to people who have not grown and matured in the things of God. Are you still with me? He only releases and commissions mature disciples who have gone through a period of training, a period of being equipped, and they have matured, not perfect, but matured in the things of the Spirit, then God is able to release them and to commit to them ministry and responsibility. If I were to ask you today, can you pinpoint the call of God on your life? What is it that God called you to do on this earth? Will you be able to answer me accurately and correctly? That's a good question, isn't it? Why am I here? Do you know who you are in the Spirit? And do you know what God has called you to do while you're here on earth? If you can answer that, then you have grown in a measure in the Spirit, and you're able to function in what God has called you to do. Amen? But if you can't, then you need some growing up. Amen? Okay. I'm going to give you now three main reasons why the church is still in its infant stage. Three, I'm sure there is more than three, but I believe these are the most uh, pre prevalent reasons. Why are we finding ourselves in such a vulnerable and dangerous situation? Number one, the cost of being a disciple outweighs the desire for spiritual growth. The cost of being a true disciple of the Lord Jesus outweighs our desire for spiritual growth. In other words, the cost is too high for many of us. And as a result, we are unwilling to pay the price. You see, discipleship requires more than just ritual. To be a true disciple of the Lord requires more than coming to church on a Sunday. We cannot disciple people with one sermon on a Sunday morning. That is not how discipleship is done. Are you listening to me? Okay. It requires more than paying your tithes, church attendance, Spending a few minutes in prayer every day and reading your Bible maybe once a while. 
It requires much more than that. It requires self-denial. It requires obedience from the morning till the evening 24-7. You see, discipleship is a lifestyle of learning and following and imitating the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what discipleship is. Every single moment of the day, not just on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday evening, It requires growing, learning, and being fully committed to the principles and to the culture of the kingdom of God. The Bible says we are in the world, but we are not of the world. Today, hardly you can tell the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. We talk the same, we behave the same, we act the same way. Hello? So, for the majority of believers, and I say this fearfully, this is too great a cost to pay. Therefore, we remain unskilled and untrained in the word of righteousness. Remember what Jesus said, those who wanted to follow him. Crowds followed the Lord. They flocked to him because he was able to meet their needs. And he said to them, if anyone comes after me, what must he do? He must first deny himself, take up the cross and follow me. Self-denial is a foundational principle for the disciple. Once you come to Christ, you no longer belong to yourself. You're not your own. You don't own anything. Everything that you own and everything that you are belongs to the Lord Jesus who purchased you with his own precious blood. We need to transition from ownership to what? To stewardship. My car is not my own. It belongs to the Lord. He allows me to use it. My house is not my own. It belongs to the Lord, and He allows me to live in it. My money is not my own. It belongs to Him, and I am just the steward of it. So when He says, give, I give. When He says, save, I save. Hello? That's discipleship. Amen? Are we clear on this? Is that how we live our lives? We have believers today without even consulting the Lord, making life-altering decisions without even praying about it. Are you listening? People ask me, aren't you coming to Cyprus to retire? I said, no. I said, why not? He said, I said to them, I'm not my own. I have a boss, and his name is Jesus. The only time I'm going to come is when he sends me. I was very comfortable in Zimbabwe. I was doing very well in business. But there came a time when the Lord says, it's time to get out of the business world and go serve me full time, 
and then leave your country, leave this country that you love, leave everything, and go down south. He didn't even specify in the beginning where south was, for me anyway. You see, we're not our own. We cannot move from one place to the other unless he sends us there. And I was reminded this morning, my wife said, I want to drive this morning, and I'm sitting there, and we're driving down this road, uh, Forest Drive, and I'm saying to myself, Lord, I've been driving down this road for 30 years. We are planted in this city, in this place. And no matter who comes and who goes in the church, we are planted. We are still here. (laughs) Regardless. And God wants us to be planted in the soil of his kingdom, not being moved, not being swayed by circumstances, by politics, by the circumstances and the political situation we find ourselves, especially in this country. Many, because of fear, have already upped and gone. If fear drives you to do something, then it's not the Lord. Hello? It is your fears that are guiding you. But the Word says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The only time I will move is when Jesus said, it's time to go. And he hasn't said that yet. Amen? When are you going to retire, Pastor? There's no retirement for me. Amen. There is no retirement in the kingdom of God. Praise God. Now, the price for most believers is too high. And that's why many churches are raising the bar, compromising for the sake of attracting crowds. I'd rather have 10 disciples than 10,000 members in my church who are wishy-washy and compromising. Are you listening to me? The second reason why are we finding ourselves, and I'm not just talking to us here, this message belongs, or this message is addressed to the church in our present day, to the Catholics, to the Protestants, to the Presbyterians, to the Orthodox, to those who all who profess the name of Christ. The absence of the five-fold ministry teaching is the second reason. And the Bible says the believer needs all of the gifts that Christ has given to the church. And you remember, he has given five gifts. The apostle, the prophet, the shepherd, the evangelist, and the teacher. The shepherd, we, we call him the pastor. Pastor it means, in, in, in the Greek, it is translated as shepherd, not pastor. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, shepherd, and the teacher. We need all of these teachings to mature the church. 
And let's look at that in Ephesians 4, verse 11 through to 14. And he, that is Jesus himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For what purpose? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Until when? Until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man or mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. You see, all of these gifts, I say to the evening church that we minister to in Sunday evening, I don't know everything. I cannot teach you everything. But I recommend to them ministries that are recognized, that are authentic, they carry the wholesome word of truth, and I recommend to them, listen to those men. They carry something you need. I'm not threatened because they need that kind of teaching to grow up. I don't know everything. I cannot teach you everything. No man knows the whole truth. Are you listening to me? My testimony, I was in a little town. Most of you know Masvingo. I was just born again, a few months old. But I had this desire to grow, to develop. There was a burning desire and a hunger and a thirst in my heart to grow in the knowledge of God. But the pastor who was pastoring us, bless his heart, was just as young as I was, 23, 24 years of age. He knew just as much as I knew. And hearing every day the same, 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 I couldn't grow. So I started crying out to God and praying. And miraculously, the Lord brought into my hands a brochure of an anointed ministry. And as I looked at that brochure, I remember the Spirit of God just like it was this morning. He said, join yourself to this chariot or ministry. And I did. I went to the bookstore and I purchased all of his teachings on prayer, on the Holy Spirit, on divine health, on divine prosperity. Everything, all of the subjects. And I plugged those teachings into my ears. Those days we had tapes and Walkman, and hours on end, the Word was coming into my ears and into my spirit. And within a couple of years, I grew, I developed, I was ready to be launched into ministry. But I needed the right teaching, and you needed too. Amen. The second reason, and this, I believe, is the biggest one of them all. It's called complacency. We don't grow because we're complacent. What is complacency? Because we're satisfied with our present condition. We don't want any more. But, oh, Lord, that's far enough. I'm okay. 
don't want to go any further. Because the further you go, deeper you go, the closer you, you come to the Lord Jesus, the more costly it is. Amen? It costs to follow the Lord closely. But like Peter, many of us, we follow him from a distance. And you know what happens when you follow the Lord from a distance? You become a target and vulnerable where the enemy can get you. Remember what happened to Peter? He denied the Lord. Why? Because he was following from a distance. I can follow you, Lord, as long as I'm not that close. Because if I get too close, I'm going to get ridiculed. I'm going to get reviled. I'm going to get persecuted. I'm going to stand out like a sore thumb, and I'm not prepared to lose my reputation. Amen? (laughs) Oh, thank you, Lord. Listen to this um, definition of complacency. Complacency is the feeling of being satisfied with how things are and are not wanting to try to change them. In other words, it is the self-satisfied state of negligence or carelessness. A.W. Tozer, a biblical teacher, states that complacency is the enemy of spiritual growth. Not even God can grow you if you do not want to grow. Do you know that? You heard the phrase, you can take a horse to the water, but you can't make them drink. Amen? If you don't want to grow, if you don't want to develop, if you're satisfied where you are, if you're content with your spiritual development and the things that you know, the Lord will respect your decision. Amen? And this complacency, folks, is a major stronghold in the church. We get too comfortable, too familiar with the Word. Listen to these uh, fruits of complacency. What are the fruits of complacency? Number one, lukewarm. You're neither hot and you're not cold. You're just in between. You love the Lord, no doubt, but you do not hate sin. The Bible says that Jesus was anointed because he loved righteousness, but he also hated iniquity. Amen? It's not enough to love the Lord. We also need to hate what is ungodly, what is iniquity, and hate it to such an extent where we renounce it. Amen? Another fruit of complacency is false sense of security that is produced by presumption. In other words, presumption or pride makes you feel secure even in your vulnerable state. Just like the church in Laodicea was presumptions in the security of their condition or and deception. Listen to what the Lord said in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 14. 
writing to the angel, he says, of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, I know your works, and you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, listen to what they were saying. In other words, they had this false sense of security. They say, I am rich, I have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. In other words, their confidence was in the material possessions, in the status, rather than in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord says, and you do not know, they didn't know, that you are miserable, wretched, poor, blind, and naked. They didn't know. You see, this is what complacency does. It makes us believe something that is not accurate or true. It gives us a false sense of confidence. And it produces spiritual blindness. In other words, you have no sense of direction. You lose your way. Spiritually, you do not know where you are. You don't know where you're going. You don't know what your purpose is. Are you listening to me? You have no vision in your life, spiritual vision. Like you know this is where I'm going, this is where I'm heading for the next five years, this is what God has, has, has laid on my heart to do. I need to be occupied with this. I need to give priority to this. I need to attend to this. A spiritually blind person just experiments with life or goes round and round in circles. Are you listening to me? That's what complacency does. These are the fruits of complacency. So, pastor, what is the solution? to this challenge that the church is facing, we are facing as a people of God. Well, there's only one solution. And Jesus gives us the solution. It is summed up in one word. And it's called, anybody can tell me what it's called? Repentance. Repentance means... A change of mind that leads to a change of behavior and a change of values. In other words, when a person is repentant, no longer values what he valued before. Repentance takes place, first of all, here. Then it affects the entire being. The renewing of the mind that brings about a change of attitude and a change of behavior that leads to a change of a value system. Listen to what the Lord said to the church in Laodicea. He said, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, anoint your eyes with eyes of, that you may see, 
And then he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten or discipline. You see, one of the evidence that the Lord loves us is that he does not leave us in the condition he finds us. Amen? Yes, he accepts us as we are, but when we come to him, he doesn't leave you the way you, you are. He will work on you. He will work on your character. He will not withhold or withdraw his hand of discipline until he looks at you and he sees himself in you. One of my prayers is, Lord, please do not withhold and do not withdraw your hand of discipline from me. I'm still a work in progress. And you too. That's why we should give lots of grace to people. God hasn't finished with them yet. Amen? Amen. So he's at work. And sometimes the work takes longer, much longer than what we think. Are you listening to me? He will put his finger on something and he won't let go until there's a change. Amen? <laughs> he says, as many as I love, what the, what I rebuke, I chasten, I correct, I discipline. Read the book of Hebrews chapter 12. It tells you about the discipline of the Lord and the reason why he disciplines us, that we may become partakers of his holiness. He won't leave us the way we are. Well, you hear people say, well, that's me, whether you like me or not, accept me or leave me. Then you're blind. You cannot excuse yourself, especially when you're in the wrong, and you say, well, that's me anyway. In other words, you're not willing to change. Be careful. The Spirit of God will not always strive with us, the Bible says. Amen? We need to yield to become flexible to the prompting, to the discipline, to the correction of the Lord. Amen? How do I know that I am a repentant person? Are there any evidence that can tell. Yes, the Bible talks about the fruits of repentance. Number one, brokenness, humility. A person who has gone through and goes through repentance is a humble person, flexible, willing to yield, willing to learn, and he's broken. Brokenness does not mean weakness. All has to do with submission. The Bible says, a broken and a contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. Give God. You want to give God an offering that is acceptable? Give him a broken spirit, a humble heart. So that 
One of the first fruits of repentance is humility and self-abasement. Number two, a strong desire to correct what is wrong. You hear that? A strong desire to put right what is wrong in your own life, in your attitude, in your behavior, in your speech. Amen? You wrong someone, you don't wait two, three days to go and say, I'm sorry. You say, please forgive me. Amen? A strong desire to correct what is wrong. Number three, a spiritual hunger and a thirst is birthed within your spirit for the things of God. You're hungry for God. You're hungry for the Word. You, you're hungry for prayer. You, you're not just going through the routine just because it's the thing to do. You love to pray. You love to spend time with God. You love His Word. You love to meditate. You desire it. You long for it. Amen? The good sign. Good sign that you've repented and you are walking in repentance. It's not just an initial repent. We continue to change from glory to glory, the Bible says, and from faith to faith. That's what repentance is. It is a continual change of the way we think. A renewal of our minds. Number four, submission to authority, whether it's a direct authority of God or delegated authority. You have no problem with submission. Amen. Not just to good and honorable authority, but even to harsh and evil authority. You submit. And submission is not obedience. Amen. We submit and obey, but we submit and do not obey when we are told to do something that is contrary to the Word of God. Amen? And finally, a willingness to serve in whatever capacity. Pastor needs the toilets to be cleaned. Yes, sir. I'll be right here whenever you need me, and I'll do whatever it takes. I'll sweep the floor. I will, whatever you need, I'm here and I'm willing to serve. That's evidence that a person has gone through repentance. Where are we? Are we hot? Are we cold? You know, When you're hot, you don't wait for the pastor to tell you to witness to someone. It just comes out of you. Naturally. You love people. Amen? I remember when I got born again, nobody told me to go witness to my fellow Greeks. But I went around just giving my testimony. I didn't know much of the word, but I gave my testimony. This is who I was. This is who I am now. Whether anybody wanted to hear or not. Some of them heard, some of them didn't want to know. 
And when you're hot, when you've gone through it, pastor doesn't have to tell you, please remember to pay your tithes. <laughs> or to read your Bible or to pray. It just comes naturally out of you, out of the, out of the, the devotion, the hunger, the, the, the love for God and the devotion for God to serve God in the way that is pleasing Him. When you love God, when you're hot, nothing can keep you away from coming together as the manner of some is. I remember when I first got born again, man, I didn't miss a Sunday. To my shame, I say this. My wife was pregnant. She was giving birth to my eldest daughter, and guess where I was? I was so zealous to the point of foolishness. I was in church instead of being with my wife in hospital. I came out of church, and there my mother-in-law meets me, and she's furious. <laughs> Your wife almost died. The child almost died. Where were you? I was in church worshiping. I was very legalistic. <laughs> Amen. Today we look for excuses not to come to church. Do we love the community of God's people? Amen. Pray with me. Not just for yourself, but for the church. Pray for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray for the church in the city. Pray for the church in this nation. There is only one hope for this nation, and that is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we allow the wind of His Spirit to bring about a move and a revival that will shake the very foundations of this nation, trying to fight corruption with natural means, come on, where have we got? Every time you turn on the TV, is another corruption going on, another stealing scheme going on. And it seems to be going on and on and on and on, and they cannot stop it because they themselves are corrupt. A corrupt person cannot rescue others from corruption. And the only hope we have is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is you and me but not in the state we are in. We need the fire. Lord, send the fire. Father God, pour out your Spirit upon all flesh. For you said in your word that in the last days I will pour out of my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Only the outpouring of His Spirit that will come as a result of fervent, unceasing intercessory prayer. And may God have mercy on us. Shall we stand and give thanks to the Lord? We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, Come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.